Hey everyone, welcome to the Popping for Pakistos podcast, episode 4. It's time to get it popping for Pakistos, baby. Let's go! So first of all, thank you very much for joining us. It's always a great pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much to all the people that got in touch with us at Popping for Parkinson's via Instagram and Facebook regarding topics and questions and issues that you guys have. I'll try and cover the topics and answer the questions as much as possible in this and the next few episodes. Also, if you haven't checked out the other episodes, please go and do so. So today's episode is on dance psychology and dance science. First thing is... You, you guys might be wondering, what the hell is dance psychology and what the hell is dance science? Well, there are two really interesting new fields. Speaking of dance psychology, I'm actually doing a master's in dance psychology at the University of Herefordshire at the moment. And I find it as an incredibly interesting field. As we discussed in the previous episode, dances are an incredibly phenomenal resource to learn so much about behavior, uh, society rules and conundrums, as well as more subconscious levels of our human being. And at the same time, it also looks at improving our health and well-being. And the questions vary from how does movement affect our mating selection process, whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not, to questions like can dance treat diseases? Another massive question would be is dance a primal urge or not? Or is it a construct of society? And in any case, how does that relate and affect our daily life? Dance science, on the other side, looks more at dancers as athletes, if you wish. And it goes both ways in the sense that dancers, again, are an incredibly phenomenal resource to understand how the body works and different kinds of training, as well as how we actually learn how our muscles develop thanks to the different training that we have, so we can learn from dancers better and more efficient ways to train and move. And at the same time, we feed knowledge back to the dance field by improving the actual training so that dancers can really express their artistry by using their tool, which is the body, in the best way. Now, personally, as a dancer, I find these two fields incredibly interesting. Because there's so many questions that are still unanswered. Some of them are very intuitive, especially coming from the dance background. And some of them are just great questions that still have no answer. So there's a great amount of opportunities in both fields to lead research and to understand even better the role of dance in societies, in history, as well as in a more animalistic way between us, just as much as the way we use dance as a product sometimes or as a way to communicate. And what do we actually communicate through dance? Is it love? Is it hate? Is it battling? Is it creating a community? Is there a difference between all of this? Another interesting thing is the tradition of all the dances and the folk dances and popular dances that, if you think about it, have survived decades and hundreds of years, actually, going from generation to generation with no way to notate it, as in, like, to write it down just like a piece of music. So it was all about oral tradition and about practice. So there's so many questions and so many aspects to look at. 
By the way, little note, there is such a thing called dance notation, but that comes only in the last century or so. And even though it was a great idea, it never worked really nicely because dance is a very complicated thing to notate and put on paper. And then you also need to consider that the technology and, and the digital cameras were coming out and were supporting the process of notation in a much better way than writing notes on a piece of paper. But anyway, that's another story. And if, you, if you're interested in that, go and have a look at dance notation and have your mind blown. <laughs> Sorry, I went on a tangent there, but the idea is there are those two fields, right? Dance psychology and dance science. And they are relatively new and they are full of unanswered questions. So there's a massive scope for opportunities and research. Obviously, the issue with the two fields being relatively new is that a lot of groundwork still has to be done. And when I talk groundwork, I literally mean questions like, is dance a tool to make people happier, for example? As a dancer, I know that the answer is yes, because that's the way I feel, and that's the way I know basically all the other dancers around me feel when they dance. The reason for dancing is to have a good time and have fun. Whether you do it professionally and make it a job and make it a profession out of it, or if you just have a boogie. And then obviously there's more complicated questions that need more research and that might not be as intuitive so, for example, we might know that we might enjoy watching some dance performances more than others, for example. Yet, do we actually know why? Is there a real reason behind our choices and our taste in movement? And what is the role of the subconscious and having this tool, which is the body, that is in constant use, but most of the times is either ignored or undervalued? By the way, little side note, when it comes to presence, more than 70% of our presence on stage as a performance, for example, is given by our physical body and body language and the way we use our focus, for example. And less than 10% of what people actually get and remember is the actual content. Just as a little side note for you speakers out there. But anyway, as you can see, there's so many great questions that need an answer. So I would like to reflect on this. And I'm very aware that all of the research that has been done till now, in any field in science really, can be changed literally overnight. If you think about Galileo, for example, he noticed that it was the Earth moving around the Sun, not the other way around. Even though for centuries it was believed that it was the opposite. So this is the issue with all sciences. We believe something for many years, and yet nothing is ever certain. And I'm saying this because this idea affects all sciences and all fields, including dance psychology and dance science. Which brings me to reflect and analyze the research that has been done until now when it comes to dance and Parkinson's. Even though there's still a lot of groundwork that still has to be done, in the last 10-15 years, some research has been conducted by different scientists and researchers. And before I discuss that, let me just say that this work is fundamental because this gives us a better understanding of what we do, as well as fully understanding the power of what we do. And as I said in the other episodes, dance is not just about having a boogie and whatever, it doesn't matter. Actually, the power of dance is incredibly immense. We need to fully understand it and we need to see if we can actually improve it in any way. And having said all of this though, Coming from a dance background and reading the research that has been done on dance and Parkinson's, 
I'm gonna be controversial now, but you know, there's a lot of issues. And let me be clear on this. This is my perspective on what has been done until now. So I'm not here to give a truth. I'm just here to challenge the research that has been done until now, because that's what science does. It constantly reflects on itself, trying to confirm ideas and thoughts and hypotheses or disrupt them in a way. So looking at Dance for Parkinson specifically, there is a number of, of issues that I've seen. The first one being the most obvious one, in the sense that numbers are incredibly limited in terms of funding and in terms of possibilities and people and participants. Dance for Pakistan's programs do not have the funding and the resources to actually conduct a study that is comparable to anything pharmaceutical, for example. Just to give you an idea, when it comes to pharmaceutical research, you might get thousands and, and tens of thousands of participants maybe trying out a new pill or something. When it comes to Dance for Parkinson's, we're usually dealing with 10, 20, 30 participants in a group. And most of the times we, we might not even have control groups. This is a very practical issue that Dance for Parkinson's research has. And I fully understand that because I'm part of it. Popping for Parkinson's as a program has the funding to offer the popping classes free of charge for participants. But we definitely do not have the resources to conduct a study with thousands and or tens of thousands of people. I mean, hopefully we'll get there, but we're not there yet. And the direct consequence of this is that a lot of research and a lot of results are based on very limited numbers. So it is incredibly hard to make a general statement on the power and effects that dance has on people with Parkinson's. The next issue I was actually very surprised to discover because going through the research papers that have been done till now, I discovered that most of the research has been conducted by scientists that have knowledge on how to conduct an actual science research, yet they don't have enough knowledge on dance, which I found quite shocking, frankly, because it's like saying, if dance was a pill, you would like to know the ingredients of the pill that you're giving out. And a lot of the research that has been done till now doesn't even get to that point. What a lot of research says is, oh yeah, we had a dance intervention, that's it. But what kind of dance? What style? How was the class? Where was the class? Was it a tiring class? Was it a gentle one? What sort of music was used? How was the teacher? How was the environment? How many people are in the room? Is there a separation between participants and non-participants, dancers and non-dancers? Who is actually leading the class and who is leading the research? Are participants looked at as if they were rats in a lab? What was the atmosphere during the class, before and after the class? Was refreshment served after class? These are all questions that are absolutely unanswered. So most of the research that has been done doesn't even mention any of this, which actually are incredibly important factors when it comes to understanding the dance and the power of it and the dynamics between students and participants and teacher and the atmosphere and the space and, and the music and the relationship with it, etc. Now, there is another issue when it comes to the research of the effects of dance on people with Parkinson's which is that most of the research actually looks at physical improvements. Now, for me, this is a very tricky issue to discuss because there's many aspects of this particular topic and this particular point. 
let me start by saying that I understand why we might look at physical improvements when it comes to the effects of dance on people with Parkinson's. First of all, it's relatively easy to measure because the science is already there and we have actual tools to measure physical improvements. So I understand that this is an effective way to actually see a change and measure a change in people's skills. I also understand that for participants, this might be a real point of interest in the sense that if you have Parkinson's, you might have a strong desire to reconnect with your body. And if you see that there's physical improvements, you might think that it works. And also, it is a great way to exercise, which is something that doctors always say to everyone. There's plenty of research in general saying that we need to be more fit and active for our health. And dance is a great way to keep fit and active without making it boring because it's done on music and it's creative and it's not as repetitive as, say, physio exercises or running or walking. So I can see that people with Parkinson's might have a real desire to improve on a physical level. And that might definitely be a starting point for them to even start going to a dance class. Having said all of this and understanding these two points, the issue that I have with this is that if you do this, if you only measure physical changes, you completely miss the point of what dance is and where the power of dance lies. As we discussed in the previous episodes, the power of dance is immense. And there are so many things that dance can give you, such as confidence. It can help you with mental health. It can help you with your knowledge of self. It can really develop a lot of other skills. For example, it can really support and help your love relationships because you learn how to listen to your partner as well as yourself and your needs. And you always make sure that the duet that you're in works in the best way. So you need to make sure that there's a constant dialogue between the two of you. And again, there's so many other aspects that dance can support and improve in your life on a mental level, on a psychological level, on a spiritual level, on a relationship level, in terms of community, in terms of creating new friends and creating authentic relationships with people. And another point is, by doing that, by measuring just the physical impact that dance has on people with Parkinson's, what you do is you basically compare it to physiotherapy. And if you do that, you lose. Because physiotherapy has particular exercises that are tailored and created to improve certain aspects of your movement and your agility and their exercises that can help you on your daily life for very practical reasons. And the thing is, dance doesn't do that. Dance can help you and support you. For example, you can get stronger, you can get more flexible, more able, more agile, more alert. And these are all skills that then you can apply in your daily life. You might see some benefits. But say, for instance, if you want to improve your balance, then it's better to work with a physiotherapist that gives you proper exercises that are tailored to look at balance. If you take a dance class, your balance will eventually improve, yes, because that sort of movement and exercise, if you wish, is intrinsic in what the dance class and the dance movements. But dance does way more than just look at balance. And what we're trying to give here is not a more sustainable physiotherapy session or a more fun physiotherapy session. We are there to dance. So it's a complete other level. So we cannot even compete. We shouldn't, to be honest, compete with physiotherapy. 
Because again, if we only look at physical improvements, physiotherapy will always win because that is exactly what physiotherapy does. Dance does other things. So yes, you might see an improvement in your balance, in your gait, in your rigidity slash flexibility, but proper physio exercises will target those things way better and in a more efficient way than by dancing. To reinforce this thought, right, let's bring it to another level and another discipline. What if we thought of an example in music? What if I told you that playing the piano could prevent or cure hand arthritis? So let's suppose that playing the piano could prevent or cure arthritis in your hands. Would you then start playing the piano just because of the arthritis? My answer to that is definitely not. Because again, if you want to treat arthritis, you work with a physio doing specific exercises for that and you take certain pills and you do certain activities that can support you with that and that are targeted specifically at that. If you want to start playing the piano, it's because you want to express yourself through the medium of music and you might want to learn the history of it or you have a tune in your head that you just want to get out. So again, you would completely miss the point of learning an instrument such as the piano and learning how to be musical if you only did piano classes just to prevent hand arthritis. I also do understand though that in a way it is a great way into the musical world to have the desire for example to prevent or cure hand arthritis. What do I mean by that? That if we bring it back to the dance classes a lot of people might not have even wanted to try or tried in the first place to even go to a dance class. And in a way, Parkinson's was the reason why they even started dancing. And then by joining a dance class, not only they realized that, yes, it was beneficial on a, on a physical level, still less than physio, but the fact that they joined the dance class then allowed them to discover a whole new world and get passionate about it and then really delve into what expressing yourself means and what that can really bring to your life, whether it's just a moment or something that you can apply during your daily life. Having said all of this, there's many other issues, but there's one final one that I think is incredibly relevant. You might be thinking, well, okay, I understand why it's not necessarily important to measure just the physical impact that dance has on people with Parkinson's. So then what about all the other aspects? Well, the answer to that is that to this day, we don't necessarily have the tools to do that. All the tools that the psychology field has are not adequate to measure the effect of the power of dance on people. And to this day, most of the tools anyway come from psychology and they're applied to the dance for Parkinson's field. And only now we're starting to create new tools that are specifically designed to measure the impact of dance on people with Parkinson's. Let me give you a quick example, right? I had a student coming in for a workshop and a couple of weeks later, I see this um, I see this guy again and he leaves a feedback note at the end of class and when I get home I read it and the guy that obviously wants to remain anonymous said I really enjoyed the, the class it really feels like this is helping me with my stiffness not to mention the wows I get from my grandchildren now first of all this is incredibly cute this is awesome I love this sort of feedback because that really tells me that this student rediscovered their relationship with the grandkids through a different light. And now they're the cool grandpa that can do popping moves and not just a granddad that is struggling with Parkinson's. Now, this is incredibly powerful. 
And this can really make a change in someone's life. The issue with that is, how do we measure it? There is no such tool to this day that can measure this sort of impact that the Popping for Parkinson's class had on him. Yes, there are ways in which we can collect qualitative data and then analyze it. But again, it is such a new field that a lot of groundwork still has to be done for the research to be substantial and validated from the science community. And I would like to finish off with this idea of impact. When I first started Popping for Parkinson's, what I really wanted to do is inspire people around me just as much hip-hop inspired me in the first place. And what do I mean by that? When I first discovered hip-hop as a culture and not just as a musical genre, it really hit me. And it hit me so much that I literally changed the way I spoke, the way I dressed, the way I acted with people. It allowed me to have hope and it gave me a direction. Hip-hop supported me, for example, to stop smoking. And it gave me the desire to start something like Popping for Parkinson's that was not based on money. It was really about creating a change in your community through an artistic medium and sharing your skills and passion with your community or people that need it even more than you. So I would love to measure the impact that hip-hop had on me. And what I can say is all of these things have changed in my life because of a song or because of a lecture or because of an artwork on a wall or because of someone's originality in the rhymes or in the movement. And this is the sort of impact that we should really look at when we look at dance and Parkinson's. I am confident we will get there eventually. It is about patience and hopefully this field will grow in terms of funding and resources as well. So we could really understand even better what we do, the power that we have, and if there's any other way in which we can improve what we do. And to conclude this episode, I want to ask you a question. What thing left a mark on you? What is the biggest impact that something had on you? I would love to hear your answers, so please send your answers on our social media channels at Popping for Parkinson's on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you very much for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast. If you like it, rate it and share it. And let's spread some positive energies in this world. Also make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Popping for Parkinson's. And let us know if you have any comments or questions or suggestions for new topics for the next episode. But for now, enjoy the music and I'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.